It's a real honor to be here. Thanks for that great introduction, Ryan. Um, and uh, uh, I appreciate, as was said already, like all of you taking an evening out uh, when you could be outside drinking beer or whatever you like to do. Uh, and you're here with me, as JC said. And I appreciate that. Uh, okay, uh, so I thought I would just dive in. I'm going to read a chapter from a novel that's coming out next May. Um, it's called The Changeling. And um, I'm trying to think of what you, the basics that you need to know are that the two main characters are Apollo and Emma. They're a couple in their mid to late 30s uh, who have had a child. Um, they loved each, and as happens sometimes, they loved each other so much that they came together to have a child and then having a child splits them apart. Yeah? Uh, they become essentially partners in a business and that business is taking care of that child uh, and they become more and more distant from each other. Um, the way that Apollo deals with that is that he tries to become super dad because he was abandoned by his own father and he feels like I'm just going to make it work no matter what I'm going to be, I'm gonna, everything that didn't work for me I'm going to make work for him. And then Emma is spiraling into um, a pretty profound depression. Uh, while this is happening. Uh, I think that's almost all you need to know. She's a librarian, he's a bookseller, uh, and now I'll read this chapter. Someone in the apartment was screaming, had been screaming for a while now. Was it him? No, he didn't think so. How could he scream underwater? Underwater was how he felt, sunk, waterlogged, drowned. He couldn't see, felt nothing, but he could hear that goddamn screaming, wailing, and it wouldn't stop. In a way, this was good. If he couldn't hear that high-pitched voice, he'd be lost in this darkness at the bottom of a river, at the bottom of the sea. But the screams were like a light flickering at the surface of the waters. He could move toward it, hone in on the howls. Did he really want to? Better than being left down here, he could hardly breathe. He kicked his legs. He was a strong swimmer. He tried to use his arms, but for some reason they wouldn't move. They'd gone so numb that he couldn't even be sure they were attached to him anymore. There was only this deep chill in his shoulders, an arctic stab in both sockets. This was because his arms were chained behind him. They'd been that way for hours now. He didn't open his mouth for fear of swallowing water. He wasn't in a river, nor the ocean, but that's how he felt, submerged. He was in an apartment in New York City, his apartment, where he'd lived with his family for two years, being guided back to clarity, to consciousness, by the lead line of another person's agony. In a way, he had to be grateful for the stranger's pain. If not for that screaming, he'd only flail aimlessly in this darkness, lost. When he finally opened his eyes, once he blinked away the seawater of stupefaction, he saw he was in a kitchen, his kitchen, sitting in one of the white Ikea chairs Emma had ordered for them six months ago. He was backed into a corner, wasn't saturated by seawater but sweat. There was vomit across his chest, on his pants, still moist, the color of a creme brulee. He couldn't smell it, not yet, because he was too confused. He kicked his legs again, like when he'd been swimming and his feet rattled. He shrugged his pinched shoulders and heard another rattle. He tried to look down, but when he did, his neck got squeezed so tightly he had to open his mouth to gasp. He was in his own kitchen, 
Chained to one of his chairs, a bike lock, a U-lock, had been looped around his throat. It held him tight to the steam pipe that ran from the kitchen floor into the ceiling. Because winter had lasted so long, the steam pipe was on. When he pulled forward and gasped, the lock resisted and he slumped backwards. As soon as he did, the back of his exposed neck touched the steam pipe like a pork cutlet pressed against a hot skillet. He hissed, the same sound as frying meat, and lurched forward but got yoked in the throat yet again. He had to sit in one position, exactly straight, to keep himself from being choked or burnt, a posture exercise. The whole room felt tropical. Heat in the high 90s filled the room. The steam pipe was partly to blame, yes, but he could also hear now from the other room, rooms in the apartment the rattle and fizzle of the apartment's radiators. All were on. The apartment might as well be melting. His face, his exposed arms, his bare feet, his skin puckered all over from this heat. And then there was the screaming, which still hadn't stopped. He could turn his head if he did it carefully. He could look around the kitchen if he mastered the natural panic. He scanned the kitchen, panning like a security camera. There was a claw hammer on the counter, a carving knife on the windowsill, and the wood floor was littered with hundreds of tiny green pellets. This was rat poison. They'd found a box of the stuff under the kitchen sink when they moved in and just left it there. He'd meant to get rid of it uh, as soon as the baby was crawling, but there were so many other things to handle that he'd forgotten to get rid of them. Now the pellets were sprayed across the kitchen floor like buckshot. Upturned on the floor right near his feet lay a bowl, his bowl, morning breakfast, oatmeal spread in a burst. And there on the oven, finally, he found the source of all that screaming. Not a person, but a kettle. The flame turned high and the water inside on the boil. The kettle wailed and spewed a plume of smoke from its snout, a little dragon. It had been sitting on the fire for so long, the water inside roiling, that it jiggled and jumped on the stovetop. The kettle couldn't wait to pounce. But at least it was only a kettle, not a person in pain after all. The only one in danger was him. For a moment, this even relieved him. Take a breath. But then his body shook all over, the legs and arms clanging in their chains. All this was for him? He was surprised to be alive. The burning kettle wailed a wet threat. His current condition would not last. His mouth opened then, and he called out hoarsely. It was a woman's name, but you wouldn't know it. A slurred sound, that's all it was. He tried a second time. M, he said. If he'd been a boy, he would call for his mother. Since he was a man, he called to his wife. Emma? He tried again. But who could hear him over the kettle? He barely heard himself. And after that third try, a spasm of pain shot up from his left foot, through his thigh, and into the small of his back. So bad it made him twist, which teased the bike lock, and in retaliation, it choked him backward again. This time it was the back of his head, not his neck, that glanced against the steam pipe. It burned right through his short hair, but he controlled himself this time. He didn't lurch too far forward, so he was spared another squeeze around the throat. He panted in the kitchen, out of breath and out of ideas. Brian, he whispered. Emma and Brian, his family. He forgot his chains, his pains, the instruments of violence scattered across the room. Where was his family, his people? Were they safe? Despite the months of distance between Apollo and Emma, he drew her close to his heart, as close as his son, instantly. She'd gone out yesterday morning. She'd left her keys. He'd locked her out. 
At least she wasn't here then, but that left only him and Brian. Now the kettle's screeching seemed like the voice of his newer fear, not for himself, but for the boy. And just then, he heard the creak of the floorboards in the next room. From his chair in the corner, he could look out of the kitchen and see the back room. Its off-white door was shut. If they hadn't hung that fucking door, hadn't paid the super to do that, he wouldn't have to sit here looking at it, nauseous with fear. If the door weren't there, at least he could see who was in the back room rather than waiting for the monster to be revealed. The ache of anticipation, unlike bodily pain, gets deepest inside you and can't be soothed by adrenaline or shock. It's a torture to the nervous system. As he watched the door of the back room, his nerves were being shocked in wave after wave. The door creaked as it swung back. The kettle insisted that it not be ignored. The left side of his face almost seemed to burn at the high-pitched screeching. A figure stood in the doorway. Apollo felt a child's terror, overwhelming and immense. The back room was completely dark, even though he could see through the kitchen window that it was early morning, a sunny day starting. This was happening under pleasant skies. The blackout curtains were down in Brian's room. They were meant to keep the room as dark as a cave, and they did. But now that darkness hid the person stepping out and whatever he had done inside it. Just, he groaned, just what? What sentence was he trying to shape? Just leave? Just let me free? No, just let my son go. That's what he was trying to say. And even he was surprised to realize those were the words he meant. Surprised because a person never really knows how he or she will react at those worst moments, do they? Each of us hopes to be brave, to be kind, to be whatever you like. But how often do we get the chance to find out which it'll be? But in this moment, the thing he was willing to beg for was the life of his son. He would have done it for Emma, too. The bottom of the tea kettle must have been scorched black by the high flames by now. The water inside nearly as hot as the surface of the sun. Let this attacker pour it over his scalp. Let his skin bubble and burst. Let his eyes melt right out of his skull. Okay, okay. He would scream and die. All right. But put Brian out in the hall first. At least then he'd have a chance of being found by a neighbor, being safe. Maybe Emma had even taken a seat out there, perched in the hallway right now. Give Brian to her and do whatever you want with me. She was still his mother, and despite all her troubles, Apollo felt a stubborn faith in the sanctity of the role. The floorboards in the little hallway between the back room and kitchen creaked just as loudly as the ones in the back room had done. It was an old apartment. Every board was brittle. Now they creaked and popped here and there as the figure stomped into view. Smaller than expected, short and thin. How had this little man overpowered him, Apollo wondered. There was a throb in his stomach. Could he have fought back harder? He couldn't even remember how this guy had gotten into the apartment. They had a security gate over the window in Brian's room. They were on the fourth floor too high to scale the side of the building and slip in through an unguarded window, too low to drop down from the roof on the sixth floor. Maybe this was the man who'd been sending pictures to Emma. If he could send her pictures, then snatch them away, maybe slipping into a locked apartment proved no trouble at all. Oh, God, Apollo was willing to believe Emma now. Much too late, much too late. The stranger, this creature, brought along something else, 
a low noise. Even in his chair, he could make the sound out through the sounds of the tea kettle's trill, grumbling, mumbling. The monster was talking to itself. He couldn't understand the words, but the bass of the voice rumbled, something seismic about it. He felt it below his feet. The monster's hair was long and hung over its face. The locks were ratty and dry. It slumped as it moved forward, which only made it seem more ghoulish. It stepped into the kitchen, brushed past him, so close, only inches. He shot forward. The chair underneath him rose and its legs banged against the floor. Despite the chains around his shins, the ones around his wrists, he would have crashed into this little man, this thing, that thug, with so much force that it would have gone through the fridge, but that bike lock wasn't playing. Apollo lurched forward like that and choked himself so badly that he almost passed out. Not so surprising. He'd been close to unconsciousness moments ago. Maybe he'd been floating up and down from the depths to the shallows for much longer than he realized. Maybe he and this monster had gone back and forth like this a few times already. The claw hammer on the counter, the carving knife on the windowsill. Maybe he'd been stabbed and bludgeoned already and just couldn't see his body well enough to tell from this angle. Maybe the kitchen floor right beneath him had already been restained by his lost blood. The stabbing chills throughout his body made it impossible to distinguish between a cut and a crack and a mortal wound. Meanwhile, his home invader didn't even seem to notice him, walked right past the grown man choking in the corner, went to the oven, and finally turned off the flame. The tea kettle yelped for another few seconds. The water bubbled inside the little cauldron. But why didn't that make the screaming stop? Without the distraction of the steaming kettle, he could hear distinctly from the back room. It wasn't. It wasn't. He tried to calm himself, but it was so much harder now. A child was crying in the back room. Who else's child could it be? Apollo's body seemed to lose all shape. He felt larger, like the size of a star, the sun, a burning gaseous form, too enormous for the small kitchen of a two-bedroom apartment. Why weren't the walls disintegrating? How soon before the floor and ceiling singed into dust? Why hadn't the world been burnt to ashes instantly? His terror burned hotter than the star at the center of our solar system. He rose in his chair. If the bike lock choked him, he couldn't feel it. What had been done to his child? He found his voice, but not his words. He growled at the little man in his kitchen, the one holding the kettle of scalding water. What threat could that pose now? He bellowed at the home invader while, in the other room, his son squealed. The figure in the kitchen stood in place. It was holding the tea kettle, not by the handle, but in its palm. Its flesh must have been burning, but the hand didn't quiver. The invader finally held his gaze. The creature saw him there, chained in the corner, spitting and raving and rattling his chains. And now the man in chains could see his attacker clearly. It wasn't a small man. This hadn't been a home invasion. It was his wife, Emma. In the back room, his son's cries turned into hiccuping shrieks. Brian was nine months, but those were the cries of a newborn, that special senseless yelping. The cries ride one on top of the other. The next one begun before the first has even finished. Not only pain, also confusion and such naked weakness. The cries that make a new parent panic right inside the bones. Emma Valentine had come out of that room. Emma, he tried. What did you do? 
Maybe nothing yet. Maybe Brian was only terrified and not hurt badly. The weapons were all here in the kitchen, weren't they? Even in this nightmarish moment, he fussed at a thorn of hope. She watched him. The steaming kettle sitting on her palm made her look like a waiter about to bring a tray to a table. How could she not feel the pain? He could see her palm had turned red. Despite his son's screams, he could even hear the flesh of her hand roasting. The air smelled like burnt charcoal now, and yet his wife registered none of it. She stood in the room, but she wasn't there. It's been hard on you, Emma, he began. I've been hard on you. He sat back in the chair because his vision had been going blurry and he realized the bike lock could still hurt him even if he couldn't feel it now. You've been so broken down and everything seems to make life feel worse. She watched him. She didn't speak. How could this be his wife? She looked drained, as if her whole soul had been siphoned out. She looked almost green, a likeness of his wife carved out of slate. She stayed there, silent. He thought maybe, deep inside, she wanted him to talk her out of whatever she had planned. You're not the only one. It happens to mothers all the time. Emma, it's not just you. Kim told us that before you went on the meds. I can hear Brian in there. He still sounds strong. There's nothing that happened here that we can't fix. She shuffled. She looked away from him. For the first time, her hand and the kettle wobbled as if she finally felt the pain, as if she was coming back to herself. Just let me loose. We'll check on Brian. Hearing her son's name seemed to work on her like some post-hypnotic suggestion. Her head tilted backward as if she'd gone into a trance. Her eyes became electrified. There was his wife. He had her. Appeal to that woman, the mother of Brian, sister of Kim, friend of Nichelle, professional librarian, the woman who'd lived in Brazil, the girl from Boone's Mill, Virginia, his wife. All these ver versions of her were women who would never willingly hurt her only child. But Apollo was wrong. He did not have her. In fact, he'd lost her. How long ago? Was it when he'd said their son's name? Or sometime last week? Last month? What had happened between this moment and the one when they'd been in that stalled A-train together bringing life into the world? With her free hand, Emma grabbed the claw hammer off the counter. She stepped toward Apollo with one fluid motion and drove the hammer's face into the side of his head. Apollo's cheekbone cracked. He heard the bone chipping. The sound played loudly inside his skull, and suddenly the right side of his mouth wouldn't open as easily. His vision shifted, the bottom half going dark, as if his eyeball had just slipped out of its housing. Through the left side of his mouth, he pleaded, even as Emma, his wife of five years, dropped the hammer to the floor. She walked past him now. He rose from the chair again. What pain could compare to what Brian would go through? Nothing. Not one damn thing. He rose in the chair, and the bike lock barked him back down, his weight crashing with such force that one chair leg broke right through the thin wood floorboard. So now his chair went back down at a new angle, and his throat caught on the bike lock yet again. But this time, good posture wouldn't help. Help. He was like a ship listing to port. He was sinking. The bike lock became a noose. He was going down. Don't hurt Brian, he pleaded. His wife walked out of the kitchen. In the hallway just before the back room, she turned to him. She raised the kettle of scalding water. Don't hurt my son. The child wept and choked and coughed and cried. 
Please don't hurt my baby, he begged. As she stepped back into the darkened room, he sank into a darkness of his own. Spots appeared in his eyes, and still he strained so hard that blood coughed out of his mouth. Emma spoke then, clearly and directly. It's not a baby, she said. Thanks.